Hey, real quick, a quick word of thanks to today's sponsor, Vertex Innovations, before we get started. For over 17 years, Vertex has been building the nation's wireless and broadband networks. Providing project management, network engineering, and construction oversight are just some of the ways Vertex helps their clients. So if you're looking for more of a partner to help you with your wireless network designs, construction, implementation, or operations, reach out to Vertex. You can find them at vertex-us.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-X-U-S.com. Welcome to the 5G Guys podcast, the premier resource for industry insiders and newcomers alike to explore anything and everything wireless telecommunication. We discuss, explain, and explore all things wireless technology. So let's dive right in. Welcome your host, Dan McVaugh and Wayne Smith. Welcome back for another episode of the 5G Guys. I'm Wayne Smith and joined by my co-host, Dan McVaugh. Hey, Wayne. How's it going? Going good. Good to be back, everyone. Thanks for joining us. If uh, if you joined us in our first season, we did a lot around cellular, obviously, because that's where Wayne and I have spent the bulk of our career. And we did an episode called Cellular 101, kind of going through the basics of how cellular works in the industry. If you haven't checked that out, go back and check that out. That was like episode two or three, I think, one of our first ones. So we thought uh, for this season, we would start diving into some other wireless technologies. And so today we want to talk about satellite. I know satellite's a hot topic. As everyone knows, there's a there's some uh, some very popular business founders out there doing a bunch of satellite, but uh, we thought we'd talk about uh, wireless telecom as it relates to satellite. So uh, what do you think, Wayne? Any uh, any thoughts on how when we dive into that? No, I think it's a great subject. We hear a lot about it. I think it's one for us to talk about. Everybody's been spotting the Starlink spot, you know, the um, satellites in the air and in the sky this past summer. So I think it's a perfect timing to jump right in. Cool. So, yeah, so um, a a lot of people may not realize, but satellite telecommunications has actually been around for, you know, as long as cellular, maybe even longer. Um, You've been able to get, you know, satellite phones for, for mobile phone service or obviously things like satellite TV, which people are familiar with, with DISH and, and, and the like, um, you know, there's, there's been satellite communications for a long time. So I guess starting there, um, you've, you've got a satellite phone, right? Yeah, I have uh, one of the, uh, it's funny. It's the Iridium network. So the Iridium phone that I have, I think I dated, I might've had, I might have had it for 10 years. All I have to do is order a new card uh, and get some minutes for it every year. They're, they usually last six to 12 months. And I use that phone when I've traveled the planet where we didn't have um, cell coverage and I needed to have emergency connection to the company. Going up in the mountains where you're down in valleys, you know, that, that Iridium phone is pretty solid. Now, I think one of the things I would say about it is that just like anything, terrain has a big difference. Like if you're in a Canyon and, you know, just imagine that gap in that Canyon, you know, the satellite's only going to have it for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. So you don't have uninterrupted coverage out in the wilderness and in remote places, but you definitely have a connection and it works well. And, uh, I keep mine updated. Um, I buy a new card every year. I rarely go through the moment, you know, the minutes on the plan, but, really solid connection to the outside world whenever you need it. Yeah. So yeah, maybe that's a good way to kick off is sort of talk about 
how how the how the satellite networks are the same and different than cellular networks that we've talked about, right? So they're they're similar in that you've got a satellite or a group of satellites that are basically transmitting radio frequency waves to Earth to a subscriber device, and that subscriber device is transmitting radio frequency waves back to the satellite. It's a two way communication in the case of your satellite phone, right? Versus mm-hmm. so similar to a cellular network and and then that satellite has to get that data or that voice packet or whatever back to Earth somehow, right? Through a downlink or an uplink satellite link to an Earth station. And then it routes through the, the wired network, right? Our last episode, we talked about how cellular needs, wireless needs wires. Same same case here, right? It's got to get back to Earth somehow and get managed. In the case of television, right? It's a broadcast. So it's just a one-way communication. Satellite's just beaming stuff down to your house or your satellite dish, similar to a radio station or a TV station over the air on, on the earth, right? So very similar. It's just the difference is your cell site or your satellite is, you know, 22,000 miles away from earth versus a mile away from you in a cellular situation, right? Yeah, I, I think, uh, and, and that brings up a great point. So in 98, the Iridium network, uh, 1998 was launched, it's a little bit of trivia since we like to do a little bit. I think it's pretty interesting. The first Iridium satellite co- phone call was made by Vice President Al Gore to Gilbert Grosvenor, the great-grandson of Alexander Graham Bell and chairman of the Grant National Geographic Society. So pretty cool trivia there. You know, the first call was made. Um, just like all companies, I think they they had their challenges of launching and making the network. One thing that you brought up, I think is interesting in the satellite world. Um, from my understanding, you know, you have your device, you have your modem, but you all, they also use the, the concept of a knock, you know, of where that base station is all from the satellite down to the knock and then back out. It's, it's kind of interesting. I think we've seen those locations is very similar to, you know, I think, how cable TV's done, mm-hmm. you know, and the use of satellites to broadcast to a central location and out in the network. But to your point, as we discussed in detail, you have a network and it's hardwired to your dish. A lot of times that the the dish that goes to the satellite is always pointing south. You know, I think it's more unobstructed view, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, line of sight. Uh, yeah, line of sight. And then... And then it's wired in your home, just like anything else and connects to any type of network, but right. very, yeah. So, and, and, and the challenge that you have from the law of physics with a wireless connection. So for example, with cellular, right, you've got from your phone to the cell site, to the cell tower, that wireless link, that radio frequency link is subject to all kinds of things that can happen to it, right? You have terrain blockage, you have trees, you have refraction and reflection off of buildings. In the case of satellite, it's the same thing. You know, you have trees, you have terrain that can block, like you said, and you can also have weather that can affect a radio frequency wave. And and one big difference between what happens with satellite versus with a lot of mobile cellular type applications is the frequency range that's being used. And we've talked about that a little bit uh, we had an episode last season that we talked about spectrum and and in a cellular application, much lower frequencies are being used, so they can transmit through and around those obstacles much much better 
and the, the distance from the serving node to the subscriber node is very close. When you get to, to satellite, they're using much higher frequency bands, actually bands very similar to what 5G is starting to use, right? Much higher frequency bands. Those don't go through and around things as well. So you really have to have more of line of sight. And like I said, when your subscriber device has to talk to a node that's 22,000 miles away, that's a long, long way to go. So the signal, you get a lot more signal loss over distance than you do in a terrestrial network. And so those are some of the challenges that satellite operators have is they have to have subscriber devices that transmit higher power, have bigger, longer battery lives and or are plugged in all the time, like a dish, right? Connected to a set in your, in your house, if it's on your roof or something. Um, and so that's an interesting kind of comparison to understand is that these companies that are operating and building these satellite networks, they've got a lot more challenges in technology and engineering that they have to solve. They have to solve how to keep this thing up in space maintained, right? Something breaks, you don't just send a technician out in a truck to go fix it, right? They've got They've got issues with where um, the lifespan of the satellite and things like that. So it's an interesting thing to sort of think about, but there's so many similarities as well in terms of, like we said, the connection to a core network, a NOC, network operations center, I think is what NOC stands for. Um, so yeah, so uh, so Iridium, like you said, that uh, was one of the original voice satellite uh, companies. We talked about DISH and, and companies like that, the Xfinities and the cable companies of the world, they've got satellite that they use to also beam their signals around. But today we've also got a bunch of big new players coming out, right? Like you mentioned Starlink. Let's talk about those a little bit. What what uh what do you know? Yeah. Let me let me clarify one of my things about Iridium. I I was doing a little research to make sure, you know, and we as we prepare ourselves for our podcast, you know, sometimes we're up on it and sometimes we have to go do research on our subjects. As I was sitting here looking Interesting about Star uh, SpaceX launched all new Iridium satellites, sixty five total between twenty seventeen and twenty nineteen. And so, Star, you know, uh, SpaceX Iridium has a new satellite network of seventy five satellites up in there in low orbit versus the original version. So I wanted to clarify that because give them the due. They are running a more modern network with all new satellites and they're using SpaceX and which jumps us into the new frontier of space travel, you know, and, and satellite communications. Starlink, you know, is Elon Musk's brainchild and it's definitely a different, I don't know, I, you may have better way to explain their network, but it's a blanketing of the skies. I mean, you know, I don't know how else to say it. It's going to be thousands and thousands. I think for them to provide high-speed satellite coverage to the U.S., they need 12,000 satellites in orbit mm -hmm. compared to Iridium's 75. So mm -hmm. it's it's a totally different model. And um, I'll let you jump in a little bit there if you want and... Well, yeah, I guess the analogy I would say is, you know, the same. It, so just like um, when we launched the first cellular networks, those networks had anywhere from 10 to, let's say, 100 or so cell sites to cover a typical large U.S. city, right? And But then you look at those same cities today as there's been increased number of subscribers, increased services, increased bandwidth, increased need for coverage, 
you know, now there's, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of sites to cover that same area that we launched with, you know, tens or hundreds, mm -hmm. same thing in satellite. Uh, you know, if you think of each node in a network, each node has a specific capacity limit, right? Number mm -hmm. of calls it can support number of kilobits per second or megabits or gigabits per second it can support. So as a, as a network gets more robust, has more customers, more demand, it naturally has to have more nodes, whether those nodes are a cell site or a satellite. So I think what we're seeing with the satellite industry right now is analogous to they're sort of in their 3G phase, if you will. You know, they're in their third generation of networks that are being launched, maybe their fourth. And with that, you're seeing more robust networks, larger number of nodes. They're going to be able to support a lot higher speeds and bandwidths if you're talking about data, a lot lower latency. So very similar, like that's what we're talking about with 5G, right? 5G is much lower latency, like how quickly the network can respond to you pushing send or, you know, clicking and sending a bit and requesting something back. These newer networks are higher throughput, lower latency. And so that also is, is part of what drives the numbers. But what's different is when you look at, for example, Viasat and HughesNet, those are two of mm -hmm. the traditional satellite internet providers in the U.S., people that have homes in the mountains or out in where they can't get cable modem or DSL are familiar with them. And the service is not great, right? You get okay speeds. Your uplink is really bad, very limited. Those are using a very high orbit, geo-orbit, geosynchronous. So those satellites just sit in one place, they, like you said, they orbit around the earth at the same speed the earth is spinning and, and, um, but they're 22,000 miles away, right? So they can only yeah. do so much and the network only has so much capacity. When you get to what's going on today with, and we'll talk about some of the competitors, Starlink, but Starlink, um, and, and they're 12,000 satellites right now, they've, you know, they've got about 2000 satellites now. Um, mm -hmm. one reason that they also get better throughput and lower latency is they're a low earth orbiting network. Now they're not geosynchronous, right? They're spinning around the earth and they're not synchronized where they're just staying over one location, but they're only 120 miles away, 200 miles away only. That's still a long ways, but compared to 22,000 miles away, right? Big difference. Yeah. Laws of physics, a lot less path loss between us and them, a lot less delay between us and those satellites for our signals. And so I think that's one big difference that you're seeing in the, the more recent networks that are being launched and, and why they're technically different. Yeah. I think a thing that you said is the magic word is latency, right? The old latency. Um, and we, we're, we're still, you know, seconds to milliseconds, you know, it still makes the difference on how well the user experience is. And I, I don't know if a lot of people, you know, really realize that there is a great need even here in the U.S. for rural digital opportunities. I mean, to have um, we even have employees since we have a remote workforce, we have employees who work and live in areas that don't have any kind of broadband connection. So we're always fighting for either a cellular connection or a HughesNet connection or a point to multipoint microwave connection. And they still struggled to work. One of the things that I've definitely noticed um, in what drives the need of this technology is that, yes, speeds are improving, but but it's taking more to do work. You know, it's it's not like 
um, the applications are not less intrusive. So say if you are getting 25 megabits down, which is good for rural areas, you may be using all of it up with your home, your kids, everything in your connection. Mm -hmm. So you still are barely getting by as a dial-up modem. And we, we struggle with it as a company still. We have, you know, and so I definitely um, understand why Starlink's trying to deploy this and the competitors is that there's just so many places. Plus, wouldn't you think with what happened in the last couple of years and the, and the new uh, movement to work from home and work from anywhere that that anywhere needs to have a connection and right. a good one. Right. Yeah. And, and to your point, like in the U.S. alone, I think the last number I heard is there's still 20 I think it's like 20 or 22 million homes in the U.S. that don't have a broadband option, right? And so when you look at those 22 million homes, and you know, that's a huge market opportunity for a satellite provider to make those connections. And um, and to your point, you know, there's a lot of government money that's behind these initiatives. Um, to try to help bring broadband because that's an important part of our economy. We need to get broadband to everyone and and to make our GDP go up to help with employment to change the way employment's happening. I think I think you actually have some numbers on, uh, for example, uh, Starlink and what the subsidies that Elon Musk got from the federal government, right? Yeah, and so yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. You can find this if you go online and look up RDOF. And it's a program for the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund from the FCC. And Starlink was awarded $900 million with a commitment to ca- connect 640,000 locations across the United States. And it, you know, if you go search that, it's definitely worth looking at. It kind of tells you that the government wants to bring that for economic development to all those communities, too. And this is... Um, I think one way to say it too, when you talk about rural rural areas in the U.S., um, getting fiber in the ground is not always easy, and it's super expensive in some places. It depends on the rock and the terrain, but you know, a fiber optic option is not always a cost effective for rural applications in homes. So you have to have a different solution. So it's quite a bit of dollars. It's really a big program. I think what I read too is that they have a certain amount of time to get this done. Mm-hmm. And I think they need to, they have about until 2028, you know, to deploy all of their satellites to cover this and to uh, bring rural broadband opportunities. But it's pretty amazing that, we find ourselves in a place today with so many technological breakthroughs that just basic internet service is still not available to right. 22 yeah. million. Yeah. And when Dan says homes, that's not people, you know, I think average home size three to four, you start to look at it. That could be a hundred million Americans or, or, or right. most. Right. Now that now this does point out a technical clarification we need to make too, which is when yeah. you look at a cellular network, it's a mobile network, Right. You can Mm -hmm. go anywhere that there's coverage and use it and move with your network. Your Iridium satellite phone, same thing. When we're Mm -hmm. talking about HughesNet, Viasat, the the incumbent internet service providers, satellite internet service providers, and the new ones that are coming down the the link like Starlink, those are fixed. 
right? Just like your satellite TV. You can't take your satellite mm -hmm. TV with you. It's fixed. It's installed in one place and you use it there. So that's an important thing to understand is we're not talking about mobile networks with these new satellite networks. They're all fixed. They're point, point to point effectively, point to multipoint. Um, so that's an important factor. I think to go into some additional facts, um, you know, there's Starlink's not the only game in town. It's the one everybody knows, no. right? Elon's done an mm -hmm. amazing job of marketing himself and his companies. Yeah, everybody knows Tesla. Mm -hmm. They all know Starlink. They know SpaceX. But there's Amazon has their, you know, Jeff Bezos has a network he's he's deploying. There, China has a, a network called Starnet that they're deploying. Telesat, company out of Canada, they've been around since the late 60s. They've got a new low, low Earth orbiting satellite network that they're deploying. Um, OneWeb, a company out of the UK, government-backed. There's one out of India. There are a ton of new networks being launched right now, and I'll call them 3G or 4G satellite internet networks. All of them are low-Earth or orbiting, so lots of satellites close to Earth, higher throughputs, lower latency. Um, so it's we're, we're looking at a huge technological change with regard to satellite telecommunications right now. That's This year is kind of a big year. As it stands right now, Starlink's the only one of these new guys that has their new network launched. Um, like I said, they have about 2,000 of their satellites um, in orbit right now. Um, they got about 100,000 beta users. Um, they plan to spend $10 billion with a B to get their network ultimately up and, and running. Very consumer-focused, right? Looking at you to the consumer as, as their customers. Same with Amazon, similar budget, $10 billion dollars. They plan to launch with like 500, 600 satellites, ultimately have around 3,000 satellites in their final network. Same with Starnet, China's version. Don't know how many satellites because they keep it close to their vest. We don't really know. But um, so I think that's really interesting to kind of to learn about, you know, what these new networks are going to look like. And um, they're saying, you know, right now we've got about 9,000 satellites orbiting the Earth. By the time all these companies finish building these networks and launching these networks, we're talking about a hundred thousand satellites in orbit. That's just kind of mind boggling and, you know, brings up all kinds of questions. Like what's this going to look like? Right. Well, I mean, definitely I did a trip. I forgot where I was at, but I was coming home, driving in the interstate by myself, cruising. I think I was looking Southwest and then there it popped. I seen the Starlink constellation in the sky and I was, and I literally pulled over because it is distinct. Once you see those satellites lined up in a vertical line, you know, in a, mm -hmm. in a line, you're like, what is that? And so we're definitely going to, you know, I think society will address the issue because it, it will change your view of unencumbered spaces. Because, you know, when we talk about satellites, yeah, maybe from your house, you can't see it all the time. But when you go out into the wilderness, you're going to be able to see all those satellites and there's just no doubt about it. And, you know, I think that'll be one of the things to um, talk about. Plus space collisions. Didn't we just have a close call uh, not too long ago with one of the satellites? I'll think it was, I think it was Starlink almost hitting the, the Chinese space station. Oh, really? So yeah, it was like within the last few weeks. So we're going to see all kinds of different things that come out. Now, do I think it's awesome? I do. I think being able to have coverage wherever you choose to want to live, um, super important. Is it worth giving up the environment? You know, I think me and you've been down the path where I think people said that about cell towers, right? Mm -hmm. We still need them. 
you still need to be able to communicate effectively. So definitely an exciting topic. I'm, a, I'm anxious to see how it all comes together. I definitely, from a business perspective, I think it's great to have more choice so that your employees can live anywhere they want. You can hire the, the, you know, the best employee, no matter where they live, that can do the job that you need. Mm-hmm. So from a business perspective, I think it's super exciting. Yeah. You know, we're, we're limited today with what we can deploy as a company. I mean, you know, you only have a few, three different, three or four different options and, you know, and that makes a difference. Yeah. And, you know, and you, and you bring up some important points that people have talked about and there's actually quite a bit going on behind the scenes. So just like in cellular, when people are concerned about, you know, are there going to be towers everywhere? And, and the fact is, is that there's cell sites that you have no idea are there. They're, they're what we call stealth. They're, they, they look, you know, people are familiar with some of the fake trees and stuff. There's so many cell sites that are on structures and behind structures that you have no idea are there. You know, there's similar stuff going on for the satellite guys. So for example, there's a lot of concern about light pollution in the skies, especially for the astronomy community, that they're getting to the point where when they're doing a lot of the work they're doing on space research and astronomical research, that the probability of seeing um, one of these satellites in their in their view and that potentially um, overpowering the sensitivity of their lens and their their electronics from being able to see what they're trying to see is increasing in odds. What's going on though is companies like Starlink and there's some we'll put some links in the show notes. They're doing a lot of technical development to help reduce the reflection of light off that satellite so that it doesn't create light noise. And you know they're putting sun visors and things so that when the the sun hits the satellite, it blocks that reflection from coming back down to earth, things of that nature. Mm. Um, So there is a lot that's going on behind the scenes where, you know, the engineers aren't just, you know, shooting all these things up there and they've got a lot of uh, positional capabilities um, where they've got these Krypton engines that they can, they can move to navigate and avoid colliding with space junk or other things that are up there. They're communicating directly with each other, these satellites via laser links so that they can help each other avoid collision with other things. They've got guidance systems and navigation systems on them. So it's a pretty amazing technology. So um, I think those are a lot of concerns people have or valid ones, but it's cool when you start looking into it and you look into some of the links in our show notes that the engineers and these companies are are doing things to mitigate some of those concerns. So it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think one of the uh, interesting things I had heard that, you know, when we talk about these technologies, I mean, they are emerging brand new technologies that eventually that they'll, they'll want to build these satellites in space, 3d printing them that so they can deploy them without having to go through the expensive side of the launch. I have seen some articles and things about that, which is probably more practical than launching, you know, a launch of 40 or 50 satellites. And sometimes they're successful and sometimes they're not. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, that's becoming more commonplace for us with, with companies like blue orbit and SpaceX that can launch what every month or every couple of weeks they are launching, at rates that we've never even seen before. So super exciting. You know, I think that's interesting on your side of it. I guess I was a naysayer when I seen those Starlink satellites. I was like, great, we're going to see this everywhere. 
the oh, and, and by the way, that line, yeah. see, that's just initial yeah. launch. So what they're doing is they're launching 20 satellites at, on one launch. Yeah. And then basically those 20 satellites are deploying out of the capsule. And at that moment in time, they're all in line with each other. And then they uh, navigate away from each other over time until they're in their final parked location. So they're not always together like that. So what you saw is actually pretty cool. You saw like right after a launch, like when they first deployed out of the capsule mm-hmm. and they were lined up. And then within a few weeks, they're not lined up with each other anymore. Yeah. As good as the iPhone camera is, I couldn't get a great photo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. Well, super exciting topic. I have, you know, in our research, I think it's important to bring up. This is in in the news. And, and so you can find tons of articles written on it. I think it's exciting for where it's going and, you know, uh, having one more service to bring, you know, the Internet to all walks of life. Here we go. Yep. B- big year to watch it. Um, Amazon's launching their first satellites this year. Starnet and China's launching theirs. Telesat, same thing. So uh, we'll keep you guys updated. Um, as always, check out the website, 5gguys.com to comment, to stay tuned with uh, you know blog posts and other things we have going on, show ideas. Let us know if anything we got wrong and we'll, uh, we'll address that and clarify it in a, a future episode. But um, as always, uh, we appreciate the support and look forward to... Uh, to the next uh, next episodes all right thanks thanks everyone thanks for listening to the 5g guys for more resources and to connect with dan and wayne check out their website at 5gguys.com if you enjoyed this episode be sure to hit that follow button and share this episode with your friends and family 